Freedom doesn't need more cheerleaders shouting partisan slogans. It needs thoughtful, principled disciples of liberty. Deep down, we all know that freedom and liberty matter. This is where we discuss why they matter. It's time to elevate the discussion. Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Hey, welcome to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We've got a lot to talk about. We're going to have a little civics lesson. I hope this is a helpful one for you because we're going to tackle a topic that forever is causing heartburn to me. And it's the topic of federal supremacy. Oh, don't you worry about the white supremacists. They got nothing on the federal supremacists who think that, well, as long as something comes down from the federal level, everybody, you know, needs to click their heels and say, yes, sir. Not so. So we're going to talk a little bit about that with uh, with a wonderful article from uh, Mike Meharry from the uh, 10th Amendment Center. Just incredible stuff. And I'm going to share that with you coming up here in a few moments. Also, I love good, I love satire. I really do. And is it telling that, uh, you know, right now, one of the most popular satirical websites is the Babylon Bee which it's kind of like The Onion. And for those of us who have been around for a little while, you know, like pre-internet, um, The Onion was one of the first satirical websites really to make a splash. And and they were funny and sometimes crass and, and a little bit rude, but always there was an element of truth. There was some foible they were pointing out, and they did it so well through the use of satire. Well, the Babylon Bee does the same thing, albeit with more of a conservative Christian slant which in some ways makes it even funnier. I mean, look, their take on on Christian megachurches and some of the big pastors like Joel Osteen um, are just hilarious. So would it surprise you to find that Snopes, yes, the official debunkers of Internet myths, is now investigating articles on the Babylon Bee? I'm just going to let that sink in for a moment because the ridiculousness of it is almost beyond comprehension. A satirical website is being debunked by Snopes for satirical articles, which, did I mention, are satirical, meaning they are a parody. They are not written as truthful, factual, you know, hard evidence-based news stories. And Snopes is jumping up and saying, oh, no, 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 not so fast, let's check that and see if that's the case. You want to talk about a bunch of constipated emotionless and humorless individuals who are, uh, I guess, would be one of the best examples of politically possessed Snopes. Congratulations. You're there. And and by the way, you're, you're picking a fight with a foe that is way more nimble and way more relevant and funny than you will ever hope to be. I know Snopes isn't going about funny, which is what makes it even more funny when the Babylon Bee or somebody else sticks a finger in their eye as any good satirist worth his or her weight would do. Holy cow, I'm on a rant, but I'm loving it. Let's see, what else? Oh, the fast food, not even fast food. There, if there, is, there, is, there a, is there a tier of food that is lower than fast food? I want you to think about that for just a moment. By the way, if you want to call in on this, uh, this is one you may want to participate in because we're going to start with this topic. Gas station food. 801-254-1640. It used to be, if you were trying to make the point, I'm not saying that that food was bad, but I've had better gas station sushi. You know, that's that's the kind of thing you would say. Well, there was a guy who ate nothing but 
gas station food for 30 days as an experiment. And apparently there's a pretty important nutritional lesson that comes from this. Now, I have to admit, I'm a little bit surprised by what was learned here. Frank Beard's 30 days of gas station food experiment actually shows that Americans can enjoy a bevy of nutritious food options, even in places we would least expect to find them. This is a great article from David Vexler and John Miltimore on the Foundation for Economic Education's website, fee.org. Both of these guys are marvelous writers. And the fact that they tackled this subject just pleases me because, uh, look, in, in, in my long history of, uh, of working in radio and, and working weird hours, I've eaten more than my fair share of gas station food. In fact, I think it used to be actually kind of somewhat of a joke because uh, the the people I worked with would, would joke around about, well, it looks like Brian's been down to the gas station just as, of course, they were clearing everything out of the the um, you know food display, stuff that had been sitting under the warming lamps for eight hours. Probably took years off my life. I just haven't caught up with it yet. But the article tells us, for most of human history, the primary concern of most people was getting enough food to eat. Now, the invention of capitalism finally enabled the majority of people in market-based societies to focus on higher pursuits. Ironically, now capitalism is being blamed for causing obesity. Why? Well, it's because of the availability of fast food or fast food uh, or food deserts, they call them, actually, uh, simply because the market incentivizes producers to make food as delicious and affordable as possible. Now, whether or not you're a fan of free markets, you need to understand that uh, this is a this is a wrong idea. The ultimate cause of obesity isn't that we eat too much food or that we lack access to healthy food or that food today is simply too delicious. The cause is that we eat the wrong foods. The reason so much of the food in America is unhealthy is mostly due to bad science enshrined in agricultural studies or subsidies, rather, and government issued guidelines. So if you're overweight, and by the way, about 70% of us or more are, there's a good chance you have been told, well, the cause is actually your genetics, or it's a failing of morality or willpower, or the capitalist system is just making food too delicious and too cheap for your own good. This, however, is untrue, says David Vexler and John Miltimore, and they say at the very least, it's an incomplete picture. Correctly and honestly diagnosing the problem isn't just important. One could say it's a matter of life and death. A recent study, NPR reports, concluded that bad diets are responsible for more annual deaths than smoking. I have to admit, that number actually surprised me a little bit. So when you eat a healthy diet, your body naturally self-regulates the hormonal signals for hunger, and, and it keeps you satiated and keeps you at a healthy weight. It takes years of eating bad foods to cause chronic hormonal imbalances that in turn lead to weight gain or metabolic syndrome or hypertension and the majority of chronic lifestyle diseases we deal with today. So the idea that we get fat because our body accumulates fat stores to prepare for famines, that's known as the thrifty genotype hypothesis. This hypothesis has been proven false, by the way. Some modern populations that develop obesity and diabetes have no history of famine, and hunter-gatherer societies do not accumulate excess fat between famines. The primary cause of obesity is not a genetic predisposition, but a lack of genetic adaptation to modern foods. Mainly, we're talking about processed carbohydrates. Now, these two authors say they've written about the hormonal cause of obesity and what a proper diet consists of elsewhere, but 
it's also important to understand you don't need to shop at premium grocery stores like Whole Foods in order to eat well. Organic foods and groceries that offer health foods today have only been around for a few decades thanks to health food venture capitalism from people like Whole Foods founder John Mackey, America's leading hippie food promoter. Food that's objectively nutritious can be found cheaply most anywhere in America, even if it comes in a can on the shelf of a dollar store or quick trip. In fact, one writer recently set out to prove this. Frank Beard. Remember that name. He's a Des Moines, Iowa-based speaker and retail analyst. And a couple of years ago, he embarked on a 30 days of gas station food experiment to prove that consumers can find healthy food, even if they shop exclusively at gas stations. Now, Beard, who says he struggled with his weight for years, spent a month eating exclusively at gas stations. And he said he chose fueling stations because he wanted to challenge the perception that they're just a bastion of junk food, donuts, pizza, candy, and soda. Visiting more than 200 convenience stores across nine states, he found plenty of the aforementioned indulgences. But he also found large quantities of healthy foods, including fruit, veggies, sparkling water, nuts, salad, and healthy made-to-order options. You ready for the uh, results of his experiment? After 30 days of gas station food, Beard had not only lost weight, he had lost 6 pounds falling from 163 to 157 pounds. Okay, I admit, I didn't see that one coming. Maybe you didn't either. But the bottom line is healthy food is accessible. Beard's experiment, though hardly scientific, suggests that healthy foods are available to most Americans. And while there is a perception in America that most poor people can't afford to eat healthy foods, evidence suggests otherwise. A quick Google search reveals modest average prices for an array of healthy food items from bananas at just 58 cents a pound, to eggs, between a buck or two bucks per dozen in most states, to milk, less than $3 a gallon in most states, to tuna fish. Usually that'll set you back a buck or two a can. Now, when you consider that 86.5% of people live above the poverty threshold and poorer families are eligible for food stamp benefits that pay anywhere from 353 per month to $1,155 per month, Evidence suggests that it is possible for the vast majority of Americans to eat healthily and affordably. Now, the writers here, John Miltimore and David Vexler, say perhaps if some readers are interested, we could conduct our own experiment. Identify some staples of a healthy diet, then match them one for one between Whole Foods and Dollar General. Such an experiment could provide further evidence that the building blocks of a nutritious diet can be found in most food venues, whether it be Whole Foods or Dollar General or even the local gas station. I'm thinking that might actually be kind of a fun challenge to do. How healthy can you eat on a budget? Why? I, I, you know what? I bet somebody has actually come up with an app that would help you do exactly this. If not, uh, some of you app developers out there, there's a challenge for you. Go for it. Let's see who can come up with it. I never thought I'd see the day a guy could say and prove, look, I lost weight eating nothing but gas station food for the last 30 days. But there it is. There's the evidence. This is Loving Liberty. We'll be back right after these messages.
America is built and based on liberties and freedoms. Liberty HealthShare brings that to health care. The liberty of choosing your own doctor. The liberty of choosing your own hospital. Liberty HealthShare makes health care affordable to millions of Americans. Ignite your liberty. Sharing plans starting at $199 for a single, $399 for a couple, and no matter how big the family, only $529. That's $529 for the entire family. To learn how you can save, go to lightyourliberty.com. That's lightyourliberty.com. Peace Legal, we're a refreshingly different type of law firm. Other law firms charge clients by the minute. Sometimes you're afraid to call your lawyer because you're worried about the cost. Not with Peace Legal. You have the option in most cases between hourly billing and flat fee billing. With flat fee billing, you know how much your case will cost up front. One flat fee, no hidden costs, and no charges to speak with your lawyer. We specialize in family law, adoptions, divorce, prenuptial agreements, and enforcement of custody and support orders. We also work with businesses and nonprofits, with planning, contracts, and employment issues. We also handle what we call life law matters. These are those cases that arise just by living life, buying a home, rental agreements, power of attorneys, and traffic and DUI matters. We have five offices in Orem, Ogden, Salt Lake City, Sandy, and Spanish Fork. Visit us at PeaceLegal.net. That's P-E-A-C-E-L-E-G-A-L.net. Or call us at 801-876-LAWS. That's 801-876-5297. Our consultations are free, and we will always work hard for you. Peace Legal, we're a refreshingly different type of law firm. My name is Garrett Smith, and I'm an attorney with Peace Legal Law Firm. Divorce is a very difficult time for everyone involved. The emotional, mental, and financial pressure of divorce can be overwhelming. We understand that. That's why we've designed our firm to take away some of those pressures. We offer flat fee billing so you won't have to worry about writing a check each time you want to update your lawyer about your case. No hidden costs, one flat fee. We also understand that you'll have a lot of questions. We won't rush you or talk down to you. You deserve better. You can reach us at PeaceLegal.net. That's P-E-A-C-E-L-E-G-A-L.net. Or call us at 801-876-LAWS. That's 801-876-5297. Peace Legal. We're a refreshingly different type of law firm. How many does it take to make a difference? When it comes to supporting freedom and liberty, the answer is 100 million. In fact, 100 million pocket constitutions. Freedom Factor is a nonprofit organization with a goal to distribute 100 million of these pocket constitutions. So far, they've distributed over 17 million. If you or your organization would like to be a part of this incredible effort, go to freedomfactor.org and learn how today. It makes a fantastic fundraiser activity. Go to freedomfactor.org and learn how. Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. By the way, the number is 801-254-1640. Feel free to join in the conversation. 801-254-1640. All right, we've established that you can actually eat healthy, and in fact, it appears lose weight if you're doing it right, eating nothing but gas station food. So now let's uh, let's delve into another topic that may be equally unbelievable and yet somehow true. Snopes. Yes, the great internet debunking website is now going after the Babylon Bee, which I think could be safely called the leading satirical website, at least for U.S. audiences. David French, writing for National Review, has an article called Hands Off the Babylon Bee, and I think he sums this up pretty well. He says, I used to love the website Snopes. It was one-stop shopping for fact-checking and debunking urban legends old and new. 
For years, for example, I'd lamented the tragic death of little Mikey of life cereal fame. Because according to everyone in my school, he died when he mixed Pop Rocks candy with Coca-Cola. And the resulting chemical reaction caused a grisly stomach explosion and, well, Mikey passed into the great beyond. But after decades of grief, Snopes lifted my heart. Mikey lived! His real name was John Gilchrist, and as of 2012, he was the director of media sales at the MSG Network. For good measure, in that very same article, Snopes also revealed that my favorite gum from childhood did not, in fact, contain spider eggs. Now, maybe you had to be a child of the uh, 70s <laughs> to appreciate. These were legit rumors. And, I mean, my, my friends and I, we repeated these kind of things. Oh, man, you don't want to chew that kind of gum. It's got spider eggs in it. And, yes, we, we believed it. Now, David French says Snopes, however, was not content with performing its vital public service of debunking crazy rumors and easing childhood fears. It had pretensions to be something more. It took the cultural goodwill built up over years of truth-telling and decided to make a real difference. It kept fact-checking urban legends. Is the zombie, zombie chicken video real? But it also began fact-checking politicians and news sites and conducting its own investigative reports. For a time, it entered into a relationship with Facebook. With, I'm sorry, that was a big Freudian slip. Facebook to help combat fake news. Well, thanks to this pivot, Snopes is and has long been one of the most powerful and influential fact-checkers on the Internet. Truth be told here, just as an aside to you, the listener, if you wanted to win an, an argument on the Internet, all you had to do was say, Snopes already debunked this. And nine times out of ten, people would drop the matter entirely because they figured, hey, if Snopes has debunked it, they didn't even bother to check. You could be making it up. You could be just pulling that out of thin air and saying, well, you know, Snopes already has uh, demolished this myth. And because you invoked the name Snopes, people would essentially give up. Oh, well, then I guess it's no point in me arguing, you know, that the sky is actually blue. Snopes apparently has debunked this. It's light blue. So here we have these influential, powerful fact checkers on the Internet. And David French says, and that brings me to one of my favorite websites, the Babylon Bee. It's distinctly conservative. It's distinctly Christian. It's very, very funny, especially if you have grown up as an evangelical Christian. And it's obviously, clearly, satire. Click on the site, and the banner advertisement describes it as fake news you can trust. By contrast to the well-known secular satire site, The Onion calls itself America's finest news source. Now, the B-Staff's true talent is in writing instantly viral, shareable headlines— they can be hilarious and cutting, and the site takes on, uh, loves taking on hipster Christianity, Trump worship, and political correctness. B classics include things like Mountain Climber, Recovering After Decision to Let Go and Let God. <laughs> Man Drowns While Politically Correct Passengers Describe What Just Went Overboard. All right, all the gender identity. In Sign of Reverence, Evangelical Leaders to Begin Writing President Names Trump as TR-MP. Now, what does this have to do with Snopes? Well, David French says the bee's viral satirical or satire of, of progressive politicians is apparently intolerable. So Snopes has now taken upon itself the task of fact-checking satire. Go to the site, type in Babylon Bee, and you will find page after page of fact-checks. Snopes have, has fact-checked whether Democrats demanded that Brett Kavanaugh submit to a DNA test to prove that he's not actually Hitler. 
It fact-checked whether Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez repeatedly guessed free on the TV show The Price is Right. Whether Ilhan Omar actually asked if Israel is so innocent, then why do they insist on being Jews? <laughs> and perhaps my favorite non-political fact-check was of the Bee's report that VeggieTales had introduced a new character named Cannabis Carl. Now, if you peruse Snopes' many, many Babylon Bee fact-checks, you'll find it's quite diligent in policing hits on progressive politicians and a lot less concerned about the Bee's many satirical swipes at Trump. It's absolutely true that some readers are unable to distinguish between truth and obvious fiction. Moreover, when satire doesn't come from an obvious satire site, as today's viral claim from a writer for HBO's comedy uh, Silicon Valley that GOP representative Jim Jordan had claimed that on 9-11, while Obama and Biden were cowering in fear on Air Force One, Mr. Trump was on the ground with first responders searching for survivors and pulling people to safety. Really? But there's virtue in immediate debunking. But Snopes' actions against the bee have had real teeth. In 2018, after Snopes fact-checked a bee article titled CNN Purchases Industrial-Sized Washing Machine to Spin News Before Publication. No, really, Facebook warned the bee that it could be penalized with reduced distribution and demonetization. Now, Facebook later apologized for its warning. And last week, Snopes escalated its attack. In fact, it fact-checked an article called Georgia Lawmaker Claims Chick-fil-A Employee Told Her to Go Back to Her Country. Later clarifies, he actually said, my pleasure. <laughs> but rather than merely noting that the story was clearly satire from a known satire site, it launched an attack on the bee's motives and methods. In its original fact check, it questioned whether the article was satire, accusing the bee of fanning the flames of a controversy and muddying the details of a news story. It posted a misleading and incomplete summary of the ridiculous Erica Thomas incident in Georgia, where a black Georgia lawmaker accused a fellow Publix customer of telling her to go back where she came from and then walked back her accusation, and then called the B article a ruse and an apparent attempt to maximize the online indignation. Now, David French says it bears repeating that the B is obvious satire. Obvious now, to its credit, Snopes has since substantially revised its report and added an editor's note. But this incident, although minor in the scheme of American media conflicts, is symbolic of a larger problem. As American partisanship grows more intense, respected media outlets and organizations are throwing away years of accumulated goodwill through partisan misjudgments and partisan attacks. Ideological uniformity can blind them to their own biases and a sense of national emergency can lead them to betray their own principles. Yet even as they slip into partisan advocacy, these institutions often maintain their influence over important American institutions. Snopes had a formal relationship with Facebook. Major American corporations still look to the Southern Poverty Law Center for guidance in defining hate groups. I'm putting that in air quotes. Snopes can serve a useful purpose, says David French, and there's a space for it to remind readers that satire is satire. But if it wants to serve its purpose, it must not use its remaining cultural power and its remaining commercial influence to target the satire that stings its allies, to which he says, hands off the Babylon Bee. See, I think there may be something else at play here as well. I agree with, with David French's assessment. I would add only this addendum to that. In my experience, the one thing that, uh, particularly on the political left, you'll see this some on the right, but particularly the political left, 
cannot abide ridicule. It doesn't like people to openly defy it. I mean, look at look at all the, the cries of racism right now being attached to President Trump. And he's definitely uh, he is definitely taking people to task and he is attacking people like Al Sharpton and Elijah Cummins and others who have been very critical of him. He's attacking his critics, but he's not attacking them on the basis of race. He's attacking them on the basis of their track record or them attacking him. There's a difference. If he were making fun of them, I think they would probably have torches and pitchforks and be standing outside the White House as we speak. So when we get to the point we can't laugh at ourselves anymore, folks, we're in serious trouble. In the words of Sergeant Holka, lighten up, Francis. We'll be back after this. My name is Allison Johnson, and I'm an attorney with Peace Legal Law Firm. One of the reasons I became an attorney was to help couples with adoptions, and I am passionate about the legal work I do. Some adoptions are relatively straightforward, while others can be very complex. If you are considering an adoption, in the process of adopting, or have adoption-related questions, please don't hesitate to call me. Consultations are free. Please call 801-876-5297 and ask for me, Allison Johnson. That's 801-876-5297. Our website is peacelegal.net. Peace Legal, we're a refreshingly different type of law firm. Other law firms charge clients by the minute. Sometimes you're afraid to call your lawyer because you're worried about the cost. Not with Peace Legal. You have the option in most cases between hourly billing and flat fee billing. With flat fee billing, you know how much your case will cost up front. One flat fee, no hidden costs, and no charges to speak with your lawyer. We specialize in family law, adoptions, divorce, prenuptial agreements, and enforcement of custody and support orders. We also work with businesses and nonprofits, with planning, contracts, and employment issues. We also handle what we call life law matters. These are those cases that arise just by living life, buying a home, rental agreements, power of attorneys, and traffic and DUI matters. We have five offices in Orem, Ogden, Salt Lake City, Sandy, and Spanish Fork. Visit us at peacelegal.net. That's P-E-A-C-E-L-E-G-A-L.net. Or call us at 801-876-LAWS. That's 801-876-5297. Our consultations are free, and we will always work hard for you. Peace Legal. We're a refreshingly different type of law firm. I just saved hundreds of dollars by switching to GEICO. I feel like I'm on top of the world. Disclaimer, you will not be transported to the top of the world. In the unlikely event you find yourself at the Arctic Circle, seek shelter from the elements immediately to avoid frostbite and or hypothermia. GEICO will not be responsible if you find yourself in a cave or crevasse with a lonely, abominable snowman, who in all likelihood will force you to play games including but not limited to Go Fish, Charades, Chinese Checkers, or his personal favorite, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Yeti on over. GEICO is not liable for any damages, either physical or emotional. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Ready, set, sweat. Your Burlington store's loaded with all the latest workout gear at amazing savings. What's hot, black, white, and pastels are totally on trend, as well as mesh, lattice, and lace-up details. Turn heads and tops with strappy backs and bottoms with cool prints and color blocking. Plus, choose from your favorite brand name sneakers, wireless headphones, kettlebells, and more. Hurry into Burlington and save up to 65% off other retailers' prices every day. Burlington, style for everyone. Mm-hmm. 
Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. Thank you so much for joining me. If you would like to converse, grab your telephone, dial in 801-254-1640, and we can talk. I I want to share an article. This is from Mike Meharry from the Tenth Amendment Center. And first of all, I want to recommend the Tenth Amendment Center to anyone who is serious about understanding the proper limits of not just uh, the federal government, but government in general. Too many people, myself included, for a long time, I would hear the name federal and immediately thought, oh, well, that's talking about our national government in Washington, D.C. And, and I failed to understand until I actually took the pains of studying what do we mean by federalism? What did the founders mean? You know, going back to original intent, going back to original definitions. By the way, it's helpful to have an 1828 Noah Webster dictionary sometimes to, to learn the actual definitions of words that were in common usage at that time. And it turns out it wasn't talking about a specific entity. It was talking about like a, a, a type, a system of government as opposed to a proper noun. And under a federalist system or under federalism, the states retain much of their original sovereignty. In fact, if you really want to get down to brass tacks, this is going to blow some people's minds. The states were essentially little republics, little countries. Now, I hear people saying, Brian, no, no, no. They talk about the union. Remember the union, a more perfect union. Okay, but but understand what that union is made up of. And it was made up of independent and sovereign states. What's the proof on this? Well, go back to the Treaty of Paris, 1783. This was the treaty that brought the official end to hostilities between Britain and the United States. And when King George wrote out, you know, or signed that that treaty, he did not address it to these United States as one conglomerate. He named all 13 separate independent states, which they were. Now, they bounded, they bound themselves together with some areas of common purpose under the Articles of Confederation and then again under the Constitution. But the bottom line is the federal government, which those states called into existence, was not and could not be more powerful than the states themselves. There were just a very few areas where those states had common interests that overlapped and those are the areas in which the federal government was given primacy. It was given authority to act. But remember, that authority was delegated to it. Not, not, it wasn't signed over in perpetuity forever and ever. Amen. And they certainly did not give superiority to that federal government. But what do we hear today? If something comes down from, the, the, from Washington, D.C., I don't even like to call it federal because it's, it's the national government. Thank you, Abraham Lincoln, for helping us make that transition from a federal system to a national centralized system. We're supposed to behave as if that's that is the final word. That is the supreme law. And of course, uh, you know, the the people, the federal supremacists among us will point to the so-called supremacy clause in the United States Constitution. See what this says shall be supreme. But they conveniently leave out a few very important parts of that clause which would clarify and make it very obvious. It's referring to those areas only in which authority was delegated to the federal government, not in any old way in which it wants to exercise authority, and here's a blank check, and, you know, knock yourself out. Mike Meharry explains it way better than I can. Here's how he says it. 
He says it never goes away. The myth of absolute federal supremacy. He says, I got an email from a 10th Amendment Center volunteer in Illinois last week. He's been working to get the Fourth Amendment Protection Act introduced there. Passage of that bill would end state cooperation with unconstitutional federal warrantless surveillance. But he's run into a bit of a snag. The senior attorney for the Senate Democrats told him that all federal laws supersede state laws. Now, of course, the federal government is supreme. The supremacy clause in the Constitution makes this clear. But the notion that supremacy means the federal government can do anything it wants, any time it wants, is simply absurd. Fact. The federal government is only supreme within its sphere. Think about a referee in a football game. Mike Meharry points out he's the supreme authority on the football field, but that supremacy doesn't mean he can go to a baseball game and start calling balls and strikes. The baseball game lies outside of his sphere. He has no authority there. The Supremacy Clause declares the Constitution and all laws in pursuance thereof. Those are the words you've got to remember. Are the supreme law of the land. Any actions that are not in pursuance thereof lie outside of the sphere of the federal government. They are not supreme. In fact, Alexander Hamilton, not exactly a small government type himself, called such laws void. Here's how Hamilton laid out the scope of the federal government's supremacy in Federalist Number 33. He said, if a number of political societies enter into a larger political society, the laws which the latter may enact, pursuant to the powers entrusted to it by its constitution, must necessarily be supreme over those societies and the individuals of whom they are composed. But it will not follow from this doctrine that acts of the large society which are not pursuant to its constitutional powers, but which are invasions of the residuary authorities of the smaller societies, will become the supreme law of the land. These will merely be acts of usurpation and will deserve to be treated as such. Hence, we perceive that the clause which declares the supremacy of the laws of the Union, like the one we have just before considered, only declares a truth which flows immediately and necessarily from the institution of a federal government. It will not, I presume, have escaped observation that it expressly confines this supremacy to laws made pursuant to the Constitution. So Mike Meharry points out the Constitution limits federal supremacy to those objects falling within the general government's delegated powers and not one iota beyond them. St. George Tucker wrote the first extended systematic or systematic commentary of the Constitution shortly after ratification. And for nearly half a century, this was one of the primary sources for law students, judges and statesmen. Listen to his commentary. Listen to how it echoes Hamilton's explanation in The Federalist. St. George Tucker says it may seem extraordinary that a people jealous of their liberty and not insensible of the allurement of power should have entrusted the federal government with such extensive authority as this article conveys, controlling not only the acts of their ordinary legislatures, but their very constitutions as well. The most satisfactory answer seems to be that the powers entrusted to the federal government being all positive, enumerated, defined, and limited to particular objects and those objects such as relate more immediately to the intercourse with foreign nations or the relation in respect to war or peace in which we may stand with them, there can in these respects be little room for collision or interference between the states whose jurisdiction may not be regard may be regarded rather as confided to their own domestic concerns. And the United States, who have no right to interfere, 
or exercise a power in any case not delegated to them or absolutely necessary to the execution of some delegated power. He says that as this control cannot possibly extend beyond those objects to which the federal government is competent under the Constitution and under the Declaration contained in the 12th article, meaning the 10th Amendment, so neither ought the laws or even the Constitution of any state to impede the operation of the federal government in any case within the limits of its constitutional powers, that a law limited to such objects as may be authorized by the Constitution would, under the true construction of this clause, be the supreme law of the land, but a law not limited to those objects or not made pursuant to the Constitution would not be the supreme law of the land, but an act of usurpation and consequently consequently void. Now, granted, these guys are they're they're using fairly complex language, but the meaning isn't that hard to understand. You don't need a juris doctorate to, to see what they're talking about here. In a nutshell, the federal government does exercise supremacy, but only within its limited sphere. It's not an anything and everything proposition. But you wouldn't know that. To see how state legislators and state governments and governors and so forth jump to attention when the federal government clears its throat. Now, part of this could be because there's a dependence on funds. Well, we don't want to we don't want to risk losing those highway funds or these education funds or these grants or whatever the case may be. But it doesn't change the fact that the states have allowed the federal government to act far beyond its actual mandate, its actual legitimate authority. And as such, they have become not sovereign little republics in in their own right and able to to, uh, handle most of their own day-to-day self-governance. They've become like satellite administrative offices to an all-powerful government that must be obeyed upon pain of either losing funds or otherwise being punished. That doesn't sound right to me. Now the question is, how do we go about fixing that? Peace Legal, we're a refreshingly different type of law firm. Other law firms charge clients by the minute. Sometimes you're afraid to call your lawyer because you're worried about the cost. Not with Peace Legal. You have the option in most cases between hourly billing and flat fee billing. With flat fee billing, you know how much your case will cost up front. One flat fee, no hidden costs, and no charges to speak with your lawyer. We specialize in family law, adoptions, divorce, prenuptial agreements, and enforcement of custody and support orders. We also work with businesses and nonprofits, with planning, contracts, and employment issues. We also handle what we call life law matters. These are those cases that arise just by living life, buying a home, rental agreements, power of attorneys, and traffic and DUI matters. We have five offices in Orem, Ogden, Salt Lake City, Sandy, and Spanish Fork. Visit us at PeaceLegal.net. That's P-E-A-C-E-L-E-G-A-L.net. Or call us at 801-876-LAWS. That's 801-876-5297. Our consultations are free, and we will always work hard for you. Peace Legal. We're a refreshingly different type of law firm. 
Immigration issues are all over the news. There are rapid changes happening in the law. My name is Allison Johnson, and I'm an attorney with Peace Legal Law Firm. I work with individuals and families in handling their immigration issues. You have certain rights and protections under the law, and I believe you shouldn't be afraid or timid to exercise those rights. They are in place to help and protect you. Our website is www.peacelegal.net, and we have five offices here in Utah, Ogden, Salt Lake City, Sandy, Orem, and Spanish Fork to make it convenient for you to meet. If you would like to speak with an immigration attorney, please call me at 801-876-5297. My name is Allison Johnson, and the phone number is 801-876-5297. Call me for a free consultation. Llámame. Se habla español. My name is Garrett Smith, and I'm a lawyer with Peace Legal. Are you starting a new business or launching a nonprofit? You'll want to have the right foundation. You'll want the peace of mind in knowing that the advice you're getting is rock solid. At Peace Legal, we work with business owners, entrepreneurs, and nonprofits. We help plan and review your business model, draft the necessary paperwork, and work with you when legal challenges and opportunities arise as part of your business. PeaceLegal.net. That's P-E-A-C-E-L-E-G-A-L.net. Or call us at 801-876-LAWS. That's 801-876-5297. Peace Legal. We're a refreshingly different type of law firm. Welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. Thanks so much for joining me. 801-254-1640. All right. I have to confess, I did not watch the Democratic debate last night, and and I probably won't be watching the one tonight. And 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 just so we're, we're clear, I, it's not because I'm better than you. It's not because I look down on you if you find that entertaining or if you find it informative. Um, but but to me, there's just nothing of value it's, it's a bunch of politicians up there virtue signaling and making promises that will be paid with someone else's labor. And, and that just doesn't have that much to offer me. You know, even the ones who are saying, you know, that, uh, you know, I'm going to do something that nobody else can do. No one gets to ask the question, should you be doing that in the first place? They're just arguing over who wants to violate our liberties to what degree, not whether they should be violating them in the first place. And it's, it's really kind of sickening. Now, it is interesting, though, that we, we do see some different choices. I mean, as much as I want to believe they're all cut from the same cloth, no, actually, there are some differences. And, and I'm grateful for writers like Caitlin Johnstone, who has, has been, I don't, know, I don't know where she comes down politically, and I think that's to her credit. I assume on some things she's going to be pretty far to the left. On other things, though, she ruthlessly calls out politicians who are doing things that are damaging or otherwise infringing upon personal liberties and and human rights and i gotta respect her for that i think that i think she's she's earned my trust whether we align on every issue or not isn't really what matters what matters is can i count on her to tell the truth whether it's going to be popular or not and caitlin johnstone is one of those people who you know whatever the wherever the chips may fall she's going to speak it the way that she sees it and it was it was kind of strange to see her latest article about how con- conventional politicians are much weirder than Marianne Williamson. Now, if you've been following, you know, Marianne Williamson is one of the Democratic presidential hopefuls. 
and and she is by far the most metaphysical of them. She she has kind of a spiritual vibe. I mean, I, you've probably heard the the audio of her leading uh, all the white people in the room in a prayer of apology to blacks, past, present, and future for all the bad things that have been done or ever will be done. And it's it's very interesting. I I don't have a lot of relevance to to. You know, what she's offering, I, I don't find her offering anything that I would say, yeah, I, I want to be a part of that. But I do like how Caitlin Johnstone says, you know, if you uh, if you watch the debates, she says you really didn't, you, you, if you didn't watch them, you haven't missed much. Basically, the entire thing can be summed up as Jake Tapper asking the progressives on stage, so explain why Americans would vote for your policies when we here at CNN have been telling them for years they're not allowed to support those policies. And then for balance, they'll ask one of the boring centrist candidates to explain why Bernie Sanders is crazy. And you repeat that for about two and a half hours. But she says disrupting the monotony was Marianne Williamson, who was uh, once again the most searched candidate following the debate. In fact, she raised eyebrows by using the phrase dark psychic forces to describe Trump's demagoguery, prompting many ironically ironic tweets from ironically ironic people eager to make fun of how weird and ridiculous this self-help guru women guru woman is which to me says Caitlin Johnston is a little bit uh, Johnston she says it's a little bit odd seeing as the people she's being compared to are status quo politicians who are some of the most freakishly insane creatures on this planet so while people are haranguing Marianne Williamson with things like, okay, but maybe she snapped, get her amethyst scepter and crystal algae powder, we ride at dusk. Now, Caitlin Johnstone says, I'm not a fan of Marianne Williamson, nor of anybody else in this primary race for that matter. But she says for candidates, the candidates who push against the status quo in some way do tend to highlight various aspects of the oppression machine in ways that she finds interesting. And she says this reaction to Williamson is certainly no exception. She says, I mean, the same debate saw Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg saying assault weapons, things like what I carried overseas in uniform, have no business in American neighborhoods in peacetime, let alone anywhere near a school. <laughs> in other words, such weapons don't belong in America. They belong overseas, murdering foreigners for crude oil and Raytheon profit margins. Now, she says this argument's becoming more and more common in America's gun control debate. And the only reason people don't shout and shudder in revulsion upon hearing it is because the propagandists of the political class or media class have normalized military mass murder in mainstream American consciousness to such a severe extent. We see it as normal that on a daily basis, we are blowing up or otherwise killing people somewhere far off in the world for some vague you know, unknown reason that uh, we trust the people in the national security apparatus to uh, to suss out for us. The same debate, she says, saw former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper argue that the U.S. troops should remain in Afghanistan for, quote, humanitarian reasons and to protect the condition of women. Apparently in an attempt to court the key voting demographic of people who've been sealed in a soundproof time capsule since 2001. He literally said, look at the progress that's happened in that country with his literal face hole. <laughs> she says this same debate saw Montana Governor Steve Bullock extolling the merits of keeping a nuclear first strike policy on the table for the United States. Yes, this man sincerely argued that it is good and right for the United States to be prepared to use nuclear weapons even when not attacked with nuclear force and for other nuclear armed nations to see this and know this. 
Now, she says this is clearly an omnicidal, psychopathic position, which threatens every organism on the planet. But today, everyone's talking about Marianne Williamson and energy crystals. I mean, can you see her point? The so-called mainstream politicians, I have to agree with her. They are a whole lot scarier than, than Marianne Williamson. I mean, The Daily Show mocking her. Marianne Williamson sounds like she's about to end every sentence with, and that's why I want to talk to you about the healing power of fish oil. Granted, the, the only stuff I have seen of her has been, it's been kind of weird. I, I don't know that uh, she necessarily marches to, to a drum that I would ever consider marching to, but compared to many of the mainstream politicians, and by the way, I'm going to include many of the mainstream Republican politicians. She's a breath of fresh air. Whether she would have, you know, that in in her form of governance, I don't know. But at least she's not touting the same status quo line that most of them are. Caitlin Johnstone says, if people could really see what's happening in their nation and their world with fresh eyes, we'd likely scream in horror. But that's the exact status quo that all these sane, normal, serious politicians have dedicated their lives to upholding. One where people are deliberately kept poor by a plutocratic class which understands that money is power and power is relative. One where the most powerful military force in history circles the globe and wages endless wars upon disobedient populations. One where we rip apart the flesh of our planet and dump poison into our air and our water in facilitation of a new mass extinction event which someday will claim our species if not reversed. Obviously, she buys into climate change. One where we point weapons at each other that can wipe out cities, cover the Earth's surface in in nuclear radiation, and fill the sky with black soot blocking out the sun for decades. And we we play with escalations toward the deployment of such weapons as if it's a game. She says the only reason any of this seems normal to anyone is because the propagandists have normalized it. The only reason the politicians who help support this system seem normal to anyone is because the propagandists have normalized them. Without the filter of propaganda warping our sense of reality, we'd see these depraved monsters for what they really are. She says if all of humanity suddenly took sane pills today, we wouldn't be mocking some long-shot Democratic candidate for saying things in a slightly different way than we're used to hearing them. We'd be mocking the people who've been propping up this ridiculous, insane way of being, and we'd be throwing them all out on their keisters. And we'd be enraged that it took us so long to do so. She says seasoned career politicians are infinitely more ridiculous, crazy, risable, and undignified than Marianne Williamson because the power structures and agendas they uphold are so transparently bat crap insane. That doesn't mean Williamson is special. It just means they are freaks. And if we ever get sane, she says we'll see them as such. Now, look, I don't agree with every word that Caitlin Johnstone has written there, but the basic premise she's advancing, I agree we hold to the status quo like, oh, this is the way it's got to be. And, and, and sadly, I'm, I'm going to apply that not just to the Democratic hopefuls, but a lot of my conservative Republican friends do the very same thing, whether it's at local-level politics, whether it's at state or county-level politics, or whether it's at the national level. The only thing that I know of that could possibly shift the direction, that could possibly move us into what I would term a course correction, would be to clearly understand 
What is government legitimately supposed to be doing, and what kind of things shouldn't it do? When's the last time you heard somebody ask a politician, is there a program that you would eliminate? Is there a tax or a fee that you would do away with? What is something government is doing right now that it has absolutely no business doing? But virtually all of them, Republican and Democrat alike, operate from the standpoint of, well, if they're doing it, there must be a reason. we got to be smarter than this. And I don't I, I'm not suggesting that it, we can even fix it necessarily within a system that's set up to protect the status quo. I'm talking about voting. But we at least have to be smart enough to know when we're being propagandized and to recognize the danger of those normal politicians for what they are. Mm-hmm. 